Hey everybody, I think we all have this type of person in our lives. You know, the creative person who's always birthing incredibly clever ideas out into the world at every stage of their life. You toil through weeks, months, and years of your life, and like a crack of a bat in the late innings of a low-scoring baseball game, this person just puts something out into the world and knocks it out of the park. You sit there and think, man, if only I had what they had. For me, that guy is Mike Nemeth. I've known Mike since my first year at West Point, and he has been churning out hilarious, interesting, and inspiring projects since we met. I'm really not kidding either. He seems to always have something awesome in the works. Whether it's a limited-run Lego figure modeled after a USMA cadet, or his yearly Army-Navy prank, which never, ever disappoints. For real, he's released a top-rated book on Annapolis Discipline, which was completely blank, and a prank news release announcing the naming of a naval vessel after Army's football coach. Don't worry, there'll be a link to both of those on the website. But this is why last fall, when I really started to get serious about this podcast, I knew I had to call Mike. I needed a sounding board, but probably not for the reasons you're thinking. Through all the incredible things he's unleashed on this world, I knew there was a desolate battlefield of abandoned ideas that didn't make it, and I needed to know if mine looked like one of those. In talking to him and observing what he is doing with his own company, Emblem Athletic, since that time and through this pandemic, I've learned so much more than I ever bargained for. Mike's leadership and nerve have been exemplary, so much so that I felt like I needed to interview Mike just so we could bottle some of it up for everyone. I'm sure you're thinking, oh great, a whole episode of advertisement. It's totally not. And to prove it isn't, there won't be a single ad in this episode. We'll talk about failing, struggling, falling down, picking up, adapting, and executing violently, even in uncertainty. I know you'll enjoy what Mike has to say and the stories that linger behind his success. Once again, welcome to the show and enjoy. Welcome to No Shit, There I Was, a podcast committed to telling the stories you may never otherwise hear. So settle in, kick back, and take it all in. So before this interview starts, I want to make sure everyone knows that I recorded this in May as we were getting into the swing of the pandemic life. This message still very much applies, though there are a couple of updates I'd like to throw in here at the beginning. So Mike talks about the Emblem Shield, which is the custom-branded face mask that his company, Emblem Athletic, is making. So you know they've been taking orders and now are delivering those orders for those, so you can go and order those from their website. A big part of this interview is discussing what it took to pivot and deliver this product in the midst of a major supply chain disruption and uncertainty as a result of the pandemic. So without further ado, here we go. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm uh, really excited to talk to you, not only because you're a really hard guy to get a hold of because you're super busy, um, but we've recently you know, engaged in a partnership too with Emblem Athletic and No Shit There I Was as a podcast. And it's just good to be able to talk to you and, and let people know who they're hearing about every episode. I'm going to flip it around just a second and say congratulations to you too, because you know you reached out to me months ago with mm-hmm. this idea of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working on this idea, create a project, you know, what do you think? And I have conversations with a lot of people about creative ideas. And then those people rarely have the follow through to put it into action. And that's exactly what you did. So when, when you uh, started putting out great content, it was an easy decision for me to reach back out and see how it could align with what I'm doing at Emblem. It was awesome to see you uh, take it from idea into reality. Well, thanks. 
and to be honest, it's really one of the first ones I've been able to do that, but it, it was a, it was a pretty <laughs> easy one to pursue, honestly, because the content's just there and people have been so gracious so far with telling their stories. So that's really important. Sure. So we know each other from West Point. I was a plebe. My plebe company was C3 Gococks. I'll do it. There's a minute. Can't say that anymore. No, you can't. What no. happened to that? Um, I mean, if there was a if there was a mascot to be on the politically correct chopping block, I'm pretty sure the cocks were going to be one of the first ones to go. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I think right, I think right up there with the infidels and uh, a couple other ones. So yeah, we turned. I think C3 turned into coyotes maybe i don't know i think that's I, right I, actually you know i still do a bunch of west point products and, and army navy pranks and things like that but i actually i don't keep up as well with the you know day-to-day stuff because i'm not there and yeah uh, i have we have some legacy company products that sell really well for people who've had their their company mascots you know deemed inappropriate that those usually sell the best yeah and i, I don't even i'm pretty sure it is the e1 viking still which is where i ended up but it's they no longer say damn it, which is yeah they're not they're also not e one damn it yeah that's yeah. too bad it's too bad I'm sure there was a bunch of ridiculously inappropriate stuff from the last two hundred years that has also <laughs> been improved and yeah. that that people are as equally frustrated as we are but that's how it goes that's absolutely true but I, I will say one thing I do admire about what they do now is they have the patches and they put them on the jackets that's, oh my god that's cool. I, I, yeah why didn't we do that yeah I can't understand it but. One of the coolest things for me, well, you really started this uh, my plebe year, and between all the scuffling around the the hallways and trying to stay you know next to the wall and not look at anybody and just get from point A to point B as quickly as possible, the few moments of reprieve that I got were the times when you would post a it wasn't quite weekly but it was a, a newsletter um, called Center Stall and you would literally put it in the center stall, in a three-stall bathroom, um, the three-urinal bathroom, and getting to read that, and whenever I went in there, was just like the the highlight of my day. Thank you, man. Uh, so a couple, couple behind-the-scenes, you know, pieces on that. I actually did write them every every week. It was? Like okay. It, it was a bizarre, it was a bizarre habit that and it's one of those lessons of like, if I hadn't decided that I wanted to do it every week, I would have always found an excuse of something else. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're, you know, we're talking early days. Distribution was me emailing the CCQs and having them print them out and put them on the, on the bathrooms. So sometimes, sometimes I'd make one, but it wouldn't get posted. So that's why, <laughs> that's why there would be some, some interruption in the, uh, in the delivery. But, yeah, it was a weekly habit that I did for three years. Uh, you know, yearling cow and first a year. I, I looking back, I can't believe I did it every week. It was kind of crazy. Well, you know, and it wasn't only that. You really turned it into this full fledged, I guess, uh, guerrilla media type deal where you not only did that, you made videos, and I mean, it just, you just ticked it up a notch every single effort yeah, that you yeah. took. It was, it was wild. It was, you know, this is pre YouTube era. This is pre social media era. So some of those, some of those first West Point videos I did, it was so uh, novel to get footage from inside of West Point at the time, right? Like it just wasn't a very accessible place from a media standpoint. Right. 
that that I had no idea the network of people that were watching it because I just there there was no such thing as a you know YouTube you know video count uh, situation going on. So I used to get and I still get emails now that some people are seeing new stuff that I'm making. The craziest one was somebody told me that they used one of those videos in a briefing for Dick Cheney launching, you know, some of the early days of the Iraq war. They're like, oh, yeah, we used to kick off meetings, your West Point videos. I'm like, that's that's bizarre. I mean, it's just bizarre, bizarre. Man, but yeah. But they've had so many great Army-Navy uh, memories. One of my favorites is uh, Barrick's linebacker. Uh, that's also Thank you. a hilarious one. It's timeless. So it turns out the, I think he was the first armored division commander. I don't know what, Major General Pete Chiarelli. He's done some other crazy shit. His son was the producer of the original Reebok office linebacker with Terry Tate. Oh, wow. So when I did Barracks Linebacker, I got a letter and I got a letter in the mail at my like cadet PO box from the team that did office linebacker. And they were like, <laughs> my dad you know used your video in a briefing and i'm like dad i made the original and so then that's how they connected with me he that guy's gone on to do some crazy stuff in hollywood too so it's it's funny you know the the threads that that connect everybody that's really incredible and i think it's also a testament for you know i think some people have some great ideas but you know like you said before you get into execution um you don't really see the fruits of that and you don't really see what those returns could be until you actually do it you get it out there you do it you're right. Yeah. You know, and that, that's a, you know, that's a world of potential that opens up when people start acknowledging that, but that's awesome. I never knew all that. I'm a perfectionist in, in every one of those creative projects, even, you know, even the army Navy pranks, the same, the same principle applies where I have created a habit that now I have to live up to of doing one a year. And so that way I, I just have to put it out, even if I don't feel like it's perfect. Uh, because if if I just tried to keep everything, you know, as uh, without any risk or, or that it was going to be flawless, I'd never get any of those things done. And sometimes you just got to sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah, totally. And I, I definitely relate with that now. Um, I'm not sure that I did before I started this, but I completely and utterly you hit a point and you're like, what, okay, what, I, do what I'm not what I'm not saying is that your early podcasts are terrible. By any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it is that. But now you got me thinking. Just, just want to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, those were the West Point days, and you. So, for, I'm. This is terrible. Were you, were you o five or o six? O five. O five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I was. Then I was just getting started uh, oh, yeah. when you were in, in C three. Yeah, Tommy Lou uh, was my uh, team leader. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Kelly, um, Kelly Lanfear, the other guy in our room, Kelly Lanfear, he he works at Nike now. He's out, oh, I didn't know uh, that. Doing finance for Nike. And Tommy's down in Florida, I think. Um, I think he, he went aviation. And, and yep. that's, you went aviation, right? No, no, I went infantry. Okay. There's kind of a funny story with me and Tommy. I ended up getting called up to go support someone really early in the morning. So I'm, I'm having to clear a road. I've got air assets uh, over top of me. And, you know, I hear this voice in, in an Apache and they're, they're my support element. I'm like, Is that, I can't ask him on the air right now, but right, right, right. you can't ask him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get back and then, you know, thank God for the advent of, of Facebook, shot him a message over, over Facebook. I was like, Hey, is that, you know, I, I think I heard your voice this morning, you know, flying overhead. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> He's like, I thought That's I heard great. you too. 
it's crazy how things kind of circle back around like that. Oh, for sure. I run, I run into people all the time where I'm just like, how, how, how are we, how are we crossing paths here? So it's, it's awesome when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really cool. So after West Point, I went infantry and had a career and, but you took a little bit different path, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny that when you say I took a path, almost implying, right, that I, I, I plotted things out, uh, (laughs) right? Like a lot of, a lot of us, uh, are sort of along for the ride and yeah, that's my ride took an unexpected twist and was, and was pretty short. So I commissioned, uh, military intelligence and my first year I ran in the Marine Corps marathon on a total, you know, boondoggle of an army trip to, take an excuse to go down to DC for the weekend. So as one does. Quisenberry, yeah, as, as one does. So yeah, Quisenberry, uh, came with me and I just, I don't, I still don't know what I was thinking other than I just got super competitive that day feeling like maybe today was my day. So I did, uh, six Oh five minute miles for the first 18 miles of the marathon. Oh, wow. And I was in no shape, no shape to do that. I just mentally pushed myself that hard and I collapsed. I had a body temp of 108 when they found me. I was in a coma for about a day. They life flighted me out. I was at Washington Medical Center for a couple days, not quite a week. I totally fucked up all the heat regulatory systems of my body and the army was pissed, right? Like, yeah. I was, I was broke, but they couldn't tell how broke. And it was a really frustrating situation. So I had met all the commissioning requirements. Like I, I had taken all the, I I passed everything. I met all the graduation requirements and they really didn't know what they were going to do with me. And there's, there's lieutenants that fall into this boat, you know, every year there's about a dozen of them that have some sort of issue. And the system does not, it's just not designed for that, you know, uh, exception to the rule. So some really crazy stuff. I mean, actually, you you remember our our TAC Captain Cable Ballard? Oh yeah. She, she had a plan that that I was going to graduate, but that I wasn't going to be commissioned. That they were going to keep me back in a new legal status called graduated cadet, and that I was going to live in the barracks. And I'm like, what? What nonsense is this? Like, if you're going to commission me, commission me, and if you're not, then I got to move on. Oh wow. And Eventually, they, they like the week graduation week, the superintendent gave me a medical waiver to, to be commissioned, but then they still didn't know what to do with me. So I, I was commissioned as a lieutenant. I was super excited about that because I was fearful that I wasn't going to have a chance at all. But then I got lost in the bureaucracy, man. I spent a year bumbling around staff officer, like assigned to, to different things right. at West as a lieutenant. It made yeah. It made no sense. Like they just didn't know what to do with me. I was I was parked inside like an S three shop for a while, and then I was attached to the the medical Keller Hospital for mm-hmm. for a little while. And this uh, is before the days I, of the uh, the warrior transition units, which were really like sure, created for that no, purpose. Sure, a- absolutely. I very distinctly remember, like I couldn't go interview for jobs. I was not feeling optimistic that the army was gonna like figure out what to do with me. And I really didn't have any leadership advocates to help me out. So I remember just kind of like being stuck. I called it, you know, army purgatory. And then I literally got a letter in the mail from Dodmerb that just said, you're done. Like <laughs> you're, you're, you're being medically separated and, uh, and you've got, you know, I have no, you know, accrued leave or anything. And so 
your ETS date is like two weeks from now. Oh, wow. And that was, I remember I went back into the, I had like a captain that was supposed to be like looking out for me at the hospital and he wasn't in that day. And the, the like his assistant, like a sec- secretary in, in his office was like, oh, no, no, you're, you're good. You can go. That was, that was it. Like I had no out process. It was so, so terrible. So that is incredibly bizarre. Yeah. So I, um, I was, I was really depressed about how that went and it was tough. I mean, this was Oh five. So like all the rest of our classmates are literally arriving at their first units, you know, like under fire in Iraq and, and everything else. And when I would reach out to people, I, I didn't know what to say to them. Right, like friends, like yeah. And then most of the time, the consensus was always like, "Oh, you're so lucky that you got out." But I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know what to say or do to that that kind of question either. Um, right. You know, because it really wasn't all roses on on my end. I did, I had no job skills. <laughs> so, you know, people, you know, I go to these like military recruiters, and they'd expect you to be a mid career officer. Right. And so. You know, there was no, like, they, I remember I go into a couple interviews and they're like, wait, how are you out? And my guy is medically separated. And they're like, so you don't have any, you know, you don't have any platoon leader experience? I'm like, well, no. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do with you. And so I, I man, I, I stumbled around a bunch in, uh, in New York City for, for a couple of years trying to figure out my way. I mean, I, I can't imagine being in that situation because, I mean, you, you literally build a four year identity around, well, I'm going to go do this job and right. everybody yeah, there's else no, I know is going to be doing it with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I really, I used to, I used to be a little critical of the, Oh, soldier transition. How hard can it be to trans, you know, transfer from the army and things like right. that. But if it's sudden and if you haven't really been thinking about life after the military, it, it is tough because you don't even know the language, right? Like you said, we, we didn't do internships with businesses at West Point. No. I didn't know what startup or entrepreneurship meant. I didn't know what anything meant. So it's a, it's a really difficult thing to try to do on your own. And that I tried to do it on my own, which was why I, I failed kind of right out the gate. And it wasn't until I connected with some alumni and they just, I mean, they were literally like, there's some people I really owe a ton to that just said, Mike, we're going to give you a crash course in life. I mean, I think, and again, think That's about awesome. it. These are, these are graduates from like the one in particular, you know, she's an 80, 87 or 88 grad. I always forget. I didn't know her. She had no, you know, there was no reason that she needed to help me out. She used to just let me come to the office just to like pick up on things so that I could, so that I wouldn't look like an idiot if I was on like a, on an interview. That's awesome. Um, you know, so I, there's, there's a lot to be said about that, that sort of, you know, camaraderie of, of people helping each other out as they transition out of the military. And that, that's something I've tried to do as often as I can. And so, any, I mean, truly it's a priority for me not to put you as case in point, but right. I'm super busy. You reached out to me and I was like, for sure, man, like yeah. half hour to give you some feedback on this idea thing you want to do. Like, I'm an open book to help any any veteran out with questions they have. So if anybody's listening and they're, I know we've talked about like, what's your demographic? And I'm sure there's some people in, some people out, some people on their way out, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn and I'm happy to, truly happy to answer any questions people have. Yeah. And I've, I've certainly done the same thing uh, with, you know, particularly with things like 
hey, this is my resume. Does it make sense? Is this what the way I need to present things? And um, I always take the time to, to review those, give them good pointers and say, you need to word it this way or you need to talk about things this way. And when you go in for an interview, you need to talk to these certain points. People aren't going to be able to make sense of this or, or yeah, I'm the same way. People hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll make time to try and help them out. Yeah. And I think that the reality is most, most of us will, and people are sometimes a little unsure of how to ask for help or they don't want to feel like it's, you know, uh, a weakness or that they look stupid. It's, it's, it's really something that I think once you get over the hump on reaching out cold to somebody, and if you're well-intentioned, if you, if you reach out to 10 people and, and you're just authentic and, and whether it's curious about what they're doing or you have some questions for them, out of 10, I bet seven are going to respond favorably. Two are That's just going to ignore you. And, and maybe maybe one is an asshole that you didn't know they were an asshole until, <laughs> until you connected with them. Yeah. Right. So that, don't, you know, don't let that scare you from missing out on connecting with the other seven out of 10. Definitely. And, and some people, you know, they're just in the middle of, of a lot of stuff. And they're like, hey, why? I, yeah. There's no those, yeah. Those are the other two that didn't write back. Like, don't yeah. take it personally. They're just busy. Absolutely. And, you know, which, yeah. is my, which is my out. If you contact me and I don't get back to you, don't be like, that guy was an asshole. He said, reach out to him and he, and he didn't even write back. Just reach out to me again. I was probably busy that day. All that's very true. And it's, it's really fortunate that I think I think we have a pretty good grad network of people, even if you're not involved with the events and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that will sit there and, and go, hey, well, what help do you need? Is there anything that I can do? And yeah. there's no obligation to it. You know, I don't think there's a lot of emotion attached to it, to, to it either. And, I know there's people that'll offer things and if you don't take them up on it, they'll, they'll get hurt. It's like, okay, well, it's not about that. It's, right. it's re- really what you can do. See, I, I, I owe, I owe a bunch to, to people helping me out. Would, would not, would not have found my footing uh, without them. That's for sure. Well, when do you think that you, that you started to pick up that friction, that footing? And at that point, I guess it's probably a lot about building confidence too. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's aspects of fake it till you make it no matter what you're doing mm-hmm. and what I've, what I've learned and seen in, in starting to talk with people who've had really impressive careers and, and accomplished a bunch, you know, over decades of, you know, adventures in business and entrepreneurship, every one of them will tell you, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> They're making it up as they go along. And once you realize nobody, nobody really knows exactly, you know, what they have to do to, to be the best uh, that, that they can be. It's pretty freeing. So, have I found my footing? I would candidly say I'm still right. I'm still. It's always a work in progress. But certainly, the early days, man, I was, I was all over the yeah. place. I just didn't know any better. I got roped into some like door to door commission only insurance investment sales stuff because that's what I thought was a job, and that's that was a hustle, man. I was literally knocking on doors in Manhattan, just trying to sell people stuff because that's what I thought you had to yeah. do, and that was. That was obviously not a fit for me. And I did some construction jobs. I really, I'd say I, fa- I was most comfortable and it was probably, man, two, two, almost three years after I got out of the army that I landed at Sikorsky. I, I was a systems engineer at Sikorsky. It was a lot of fun. I was on what we called the Pimp My Ride division. So it was like VVIP helicopters for foreign heads of state. And we just put crazy kick-ass shit inside of the helicopters. Uh, I mean, we, we put a fully functioning shower inside of a King's wow. helicopter. It was wild. So that was a lot of fun, but I, it was in Connecticut. 
and my family's all here in Ohio. My wife's family's here in Ohio. And at some point we, we just shifted into, I guess, adult mode where we are like, okay, maybe we, are we going to really build our lives here or should we move somewhere else? And so I moved to Ohio in 08, like 08, 09, right at the recent financial crash up, up until this current oh, yeah. one that we're in. So th that was also a big help for me. I, I, I wasn't confident on the business side with things. And I went to grad school at Ohio State to, to as much hit the reset button professionally for me. And Sikorsky was a cool experience. I was already in the like private aviation side of things because I was on the civilian customer side of Sikorsky, not the military yeah. stuff. And there's a really kick-ass company here in Columbus called NetJets. It's the, it's, you know, the fractional ownership of jets and a bunch of, you know, cool sports teams and celebrities are using them and stuff yeah. like that. So I had a job offer from them and I thought, boy, this is easy. Now I go to grad school, I get this cool job at this, you know, luxury jet company. I didn't do any other interviews at other companies because I had a job offer from them. And then at the end of the year, when school's over and job's supposed to start, the crash, you know, hits and they pulled the job. Oh, over. man. So so then, so then I was unemployed with a with a degree and I was kind of off cycle. Right. Like I hadn't done any of the like MBA internship interview things because I'd already done that with NetJets and I didn't need to do yeah. this. So, yeah, back to like finding my footing. Then I then I was also kind of stranded again. And it was some friends that helped me out. I eventually got connected with a company that, that had moved here to Columbus and they were looking for somebody to do the business stuff and also help them get into military contracting. So I knew Sikorsky and I knew how they'd done contracting. And so I joined a really small company. This is about 10 years ago now. And it was a wild, wild ride. We, we raised some venture money and, and grew the company and sold it. And, and I got to do all those all the fun businessy things that, frankly, I probably wouldn't have got to do at NetJets if if things had just stayed status quo. So I, I'm I'm a big believer in finding opportunity when things seem to be going haywire like they are right now. Yeah, and that you know the common thread that I I find in what what you're talking about is really being able to activate a network and talk to people and be patient and. I guess, seek opportunity where you're most likely to get the best push, which is, which is people that can speak for you. For sure. There's only so much you can do on your own. And if you don't let everyone know what you're up to or what you need, they can't help you. Right. I guess another perspective that I'm really interested to hear from you, you know, I think we hear a lot of, obviously we come from a military background and there's just a whole lot of, well, you got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and kind of keep on moving <laughs> and, you know, take initiative and, but there's a part of it too, uh, kind of a mentality aspect of to pick yourself up by the bootstraps it takes a certain amount of more than just resilience. It takes a certain amount of positivity mindset of being present in what what are the things you can actually do. Other, otherwise, it can seem like this insurmountable task of finding your footing, climbing the mountain. You're at ground zero. You know, you're at the right. bottom of the mountain, like getting to the top of the mountain, which is where you think, okay, well, other grads are at these positions. This is where I need to be. Oh man, that, yeah. The the comparison game is killer. Oh, yeah, it is. It's so bad. it is so bad. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a curse. And we all, I mean, 
we've done it since we were at West Point. Oh, look at look at where so and so is going, and look yeah. what they're doing. And and if you really get to to if you really get to peel back the the protective you know uh, armor of I've got everything under control, most people will, will acknowledge you know they they don't know what right. they're, what they're doing and and uh, and they didn't do it alone. I, I really I really have yet to certainly yet to feel like I've ever been told an authentic story of like someone singularly solving all their problems in the way that many of us tell ourselves that we have to. Yeah. Right. And so it's usually, it's usually someone coming out of nowhere to, to save the day. You really can't predict who it's going to be to help save you. And that's how it is in business and, and in life in general. I, I just, I, I don't think that there's nearly as much value in trying to be the stoic impressive type as I used to think that, <laughs> that there was. Uh, it's much more rewarding and powerful of a of a position to be vulnerable and just say where you need help. Absolutely. So what would you, you know, I guess if, if you had someone sitting in front of you that was in a similar situation, what's something you'd tell them about you know, kind of how to deal with that in a day in day out sense, right? Not just like the, yeah. hey, well, you know, this is what it's like during this time period. This is what you need to do. But like every day you wake up and you go, God, I'm just not there yet. So how do you defeat that mentality? I, I would say it much more directly. On those days, I used to just wake up and be like, fuck, <laughs> this, is, this is, this, it didn't solve itself overnight. Right. right. So yeah, I've been, right. I was fired from the army and I did, <laughs> I, it medically separated as close, right. I mean, like, hey, yeah. At the end of the day, I, was, I, 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 w- I wanted to be in the army and I wasn't in the army. So I, I view it that way. And, and then I got fired before I even started at NetJets. And then the, that company I told you about, was, with, uh, it was called Zyvex. After we sold it, I got fired by the new owners, which is what happens. And so I can count you know, three really, really pivotal pivotal. Uh, challenging times where I felt like I just wasn't dialed in, and and even even the most recent one where I was fired from Zyvex, I was terrible in in how I dealt with it. I didn't tell anybody. I was embarrassed by it. It took me. Did you ever see the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas? Oh yeah, that was me. I literally was like going to work as if I still had a job. Because like like packing my lunch and be like, all right, I'm 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 off to work and and I I didn't have anywhere to go. I was like going to coffee shops. It that's not the way yeah. to do it. And so there's certainly people now who are being fired for the first time, right? And that's just how it goes. Shit happens. You didn't do anything bad. You didn't make a misstep. It just happens. Right. And I think the hardest part was I had that like overconfidence. Every, every time it happened, I was like, I'm never going to let this happen again, right? Like when the NetJets thing happened, I was like, I'm going to take things into my own hands. That's why I'm going to go work at this smaller firm so I can influence things. And and then it caught me off guard again. I'm like, oh, yeah, and then it happened, right? I got fired and and then it's like, oh, I can't let this happen again. And that's not the mentality to take. The mentality to take is it is going to happen again. It, it's part of it. And... The sooner you send up the signal flare that you need help, the the more likely that someone's going to be able to come there and and help you out. I I wrote I wrote a small piece. I think it's on my LinkedIn profile, like a, like maybe a year or so ago, about like coming to terms with being fired. And it's been really cool having a couple people that are like 
dude, I'm talking like rock stars. Like these, like I'm so impressed and, and am impressed with, with what these people have accomplished. And they're reaching out to me on LinkedIn and they're like, Hey man, I just got fired. And I really, I, I saw your piece and I, I really appreciated it because it's easy to, it's easy to say like, I'm a consultant now without, yeah. say, <laughs> without owning it and being like, I need work, right? Like it's tough, but you got to just, you got to put it out there. Cause otherwise no one's going to know to hook you up with, with the help. No, that's need. absolutely true. You know, if you pretend like you've got the, uh, oh, I'm, I'm launching my own consulting business, but you're really looking for work. You're not going to find either. You're not going to find consulting gigs because you're not really looking for consulting gigs and you're not going to find jobs because no one knows that, that you need help. Yeah. So for yeah, anybody who's, who's in that spot now, you just got to, you just got to put it out there and, and say what you need. You know, and I think, I think there's a value in being vulnerable for the reason you just outlined and the fact that people kind of need to know where you're at to know how to help you. But on top of that, there's an authenticity that comes along with you know showing that vulnerability and going, listen, I'm in a place where I need help. I know I can't do this by myself. And, you know, hey, w- w- what you got? It's really interesting in this world of sometimes we don't necessarily think of LinkedIn as we think of it as a networking tool, not as a social media platform. But there's some of the same aspects of, well, people can present what they want and they don't have to present everything. And when someone looks at your profile and you say, well, now I'm a consultant, well, you go, okay, well, they've got it handled, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But they're occupied with, with you know, what's happening in their life. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, joke, I joke with a friend of mine that there's no like it's complicated relationship status. For yeah. LinkedIn. yeah. There, there should be because that was my, so that was my reality after I got fired I totally played the consultant card, but even then I, I was looking for work full-time. And so when people would be like, oh, you know, tell me what you do. I'm like, depends. Are you hiring or, <laughs> or, or, or would you be a consulting customer? And that's a hard thing to do on a, on a LinkedIn profile. So you have to decide and choose what you're, what you're going to do. And, and it's a tough, that's a tough thing to do, but I, I'm an absolute believer that you really you really can't effectively do both because nobody wants to hire somebody who's already like got a foot out the door looking for something. No, definitely not. That's absolutely true. Wow. So how did you find your way through that time trying to figure out what to do? How'd you get to the other side of that? It wasn't a linear path by any stretch. And that's, that's the other, there's just all these, like I call them business myths right? There's all these like easy to tell myth stories of how these, how certain businesses got started. And they're just not, they're not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and with emblem, it's almost like there's this expectation that there should be this really easy story of, oh, we, we had this amazing insight and then just figured it out and launched it. And, and ever if what I, what it reminds me of, and, and it's obviously company, I would be thrilled to be considered uh, in, but you know, the story of Nike, if you ask people how Nike gets started, they're like, Oh, the coach had this waffle iron, you know, thing. And then they made these shoes and it was boom. success. Yeah. yeah. It's like, was it the Prefontaine movie? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's bullshit. Like it's so not even close to accurate. And so there's a really great book, Shoe Dog from Bill Knight that says how the company got started. And oh my God, it was a disaster. I mean, it was like 
10 years of mistakes and they ran out of money and, and, and they screwed this up and they, they did this wrong and that wrong and they didn't know what they're doing here. And it's, it was awesome. It made me feel so much better <laughs> about, about what we're doing. Uh, and so the real story with them is I had a whole bunch of things going on. I was struggling to pay my mortgage. I found out how far you could get behind on payments until they like really started <laughs> sending you concerning legal yeah. notices. Uh, and as anyone who's who's as anyone who's been in that position uh, or anyone who's about to go into that position because they lost their job, I've been there. And I used to joke that it's not serious until they send you something in certified mail. That's when you know you've really kind of fucked up and that they really want their money. So you can go for a while not paying on things uh, if you have to. And that's that's the spot I was in when I was unemployed, pretending to be a consultant while also looking for a job. Nothing was working, right? Like I wasn't doing any of those things effectively. And so I had a, I had my side hustle. It's, it's the West Point stuff that you probably yeah. know, like all the like West Point t-shirts and stuff like that. And I just never viewed that as something I wanted to do professionally because I always had this belief that I told myself work shouldn't be fun. I should have all my fun stuff on the side and then I should have my work stuff as work. That was something that I, you know, whether it was from my parents or who, who knows, that's what I believed. And I never wanted to damage the fun of the West Point stuff by depending on it. Right. So, but for a couple months there, that was my only income. And I was like, okay, I do enjoy this stuff. It's fun, but I want to do something more. I'm selling these t-shirts because they're a niche, right? Like it's a West Point niche. I've got some, you know, I got, I, I obviously know things about West Point that, that a regular apparel brand wouldn't come up with. And that's why those products yeah. sell. But along the way, I've learned a lot about sourcing it. And then the, the company I was with that, that I was fired from, we were, we were really heavy in sporting goods. And so I was over in Asia a bunch and I saw like, you know, performance fabric, right? Like Nike dry fit, all that stuff. It's all the same. It's there's, <laughs> that's all marketing. There's those fabrics are the same. I can get those same fabrics and just put a different logo on it. So I was, I found that fascinating. And so I played around with like starting up a teacher company. And as you know, there's a bajillion veteran t-shirt companies. I'm like, I'm definitely not going to do one of those. Yeah. I certainly can't speak authentically to, to the veteran experience other than a year's worth of staff duty officer <laughs> jobs, which as I've come to find out is quite representative of most people's army experience. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I just didn't, I didn't have anything differentiated for that. By the way, longer story short, I did try and set up a couple different variations. One of the one of them I got pretty far on, but just the math never worked. The margins didn't work. I was spending more money trying to get customers than I was making on them. Right, and and you just gotta you gotta kill it. Right, it's really it's really hard, and especially when you're like, shit, I gotta make this work. But if you look at the numbers and it's not working, you just can't insert whatever metaphor you want. Of, you know, putting lipstick on a pig. Like if it's not working, you just gotta move on. Right. And so Emblem was the third business that I had attempted to start after I'd been fired. So I, I have a screenshot of my overdrafted bank account the day I kind of like started Emblem. And so I, when people are like, oh, I'm waiting for the right time to start my business, that's bullshit. Start it when you, when you decide that you're going to commit to it. 
I was just at that like back up against the wall point where I was like, okay, I'm so far in the hole, having been unemployed and racked up credit card debt and trying to survive that I have to make this thing work. Because if I just go get a job someplace, it's it's not gonna it's, it's not gonna move the needle on me getting you know better financially. So so yeah, I started it with with a real pressure to make it work, and the the extra juice that we bring to the table is that it's it's really complex, kick ass product. These are not easy screen print T shirts that you get from anywhere else. We're making these things from scratch. It's high performance fabric that you get at a professional place and. Uh, Yep. And then we've built a system that, that automates it. So I describe our first year of business as if I opened up a restaurant that was called food and we just served out anything. If you walked into my restaurant named food and you said you were hungry, I was like, whatever, just tell me what you want and we'll figure it out. Right. Like that, that's how undifferentiated we were. We were doing, dude, we were doing clothes for anybody you could imagine. The North Topeka, Kansas curling team. Hey, do you do curling uniforms? Fuck yeah, we do curling uniforms. Yeah, we do the best <laughs> curling uniforms. Oh, sweet. I wasn't sure if you could do the pocket. Oh yeah, of course we can do that. And then we'll figure it yeah, out. Naturally. Right? Like, like we had the ability to figure it out. We just we weren't experts at it. Yeah. We did so much random stuff. And along the way, I kept having friends of mine in like all my West Point friends and others being like, hey, can you do our our deployment shirts? Like it's a pain in the ass getting this done. And I got other shit to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's easy. You mean, you don't need a complex sports uniform. You just want a, a cool fitness shirt. Like we'll make that happen. And so when we looked at the numbers of our second year in business, our best customers, the happiest customers, the ones where we felt we were really dialed in were military police and fire. And so when we started the company, did we think we were going to be a military police and fire fitness shirt company? No. Yeah. Right. And like, not at all, but that's where the opportunity led us, which we wouldn't have gotten to if we hadn't just jumped in and just started doing it. So, right. So the, the, that brings us up to the last two months. Holy shit. <laughs> what, what a, <laughs> what a mess. Right. So yeah, all those specialty fabrics, guess where they come from, right? It's a complex global supply chain for apparel. We are a U.S. Right. company. We got a ton of U.S. employees here. People get really focused on like, is this made in America? A lot of it is made in America. Are the fabrics from America? No, there isn't a fabric mill that does that. And almost all yeah. of your products have something that's coming in from overseas. And so we've had a ton of supply chain interruptions and we've busted our asses, you know, sourcing backup fabrics and setting everything up. But it, what it has forced us to do is really take even more into our own control. So we we were a and had been a virtual company up until this past month. So, you know, as a virtual company, we led the team. We were all here in Columbus, but we didn't have an office. We just worked from home or coffee shops or whatever. And our like the companies that did our shipping, they couldn't handle, you know, operating what we needed from them during, you know, during this decorator suppliers that were adding the designs to the fabrics and stuff like that, they couldn't keep up. And so it was part of our long-term plan, but we just accelerated it because of this crisis. I'm pretty sure we're the, we've got to be one of the only companies in the country in the last month that has gone from virtual to in-person. We've opened up a facility <laughs> in the middle of all of this because we want to take more control over 
what we're doing for our customers because there's going to be other things that are going to happen in the future. And I think anybody that, that can have more control over what they are operating is going to be well positioned to, to succeed. And so in secrecy, which I suppose I'm unveiling in this interview, uh, we've been building a really kick-ass, we're calling it the lab. Uh, we, we bought a whole bunch of equipment. We brought a bunch of staff in-house that we used to outsource and we're going to be really dialed in going forward to be making everything here right in Columbus. It's be pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. There's so many things about, I don't want to butter your bread too much here, but the, uh, from an outsider's perspective, watching the way that you pivot in the way that you are responsive to need of your customer base, you know, I've been very attentive to lately of how you respond to people, even over social media and, 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 yeah. and not only, not only give them just a response, but give them feedback and say, Hey, listen, you wanted insight into this? Guess what? I've got a video from my facility so you can see exactly what we do. Oh, for yeah, you. yeah. That, that, I mean, we should have done this. Is, this, is, this is how I look at that. We should have done that months ago, <laughs> right? Like, like some things I'm really, uh, I'm critical of us about of like, we tried to keep this super secret and like mystery. I think it's cool. And we, and, and now that we're showing people like what it is, I think it's built a even deeper connection with our customers. And the responsiveness piece, it, it, like you said, is, is really key. Um, sometimes you don't know all the information, right? Before you got to make a decision. And right. we watched the question over masks, right? Like, oh, uh, can you get us masks? Yeah, we can get you masks, but I don't know if that's what we should be doing, right? Like I could, I could import a bunch of surgical masks and sell them on our website. And I'm seeing a ton of, I mean, just a, so many companies are like, oh, buy, buy N95 masks from us. I'm like, does that fit your brand or your, or, or your mission or anything, right? Like just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So initially my thought, my, I mean, I told the team early on, I was like, this is our focus. We're calling it Project Canaveral because the Army Corps of Engineers built Cape Canaveral like overnight to send a man to the moon. And it's like some of the craziest construction stories you've ever seen. Like, it's amazing what they did. And I was like, look, yeah. all we're doing is setting up a, a factory. It's a small one, but we're setting up a factory. We'll rally the team. We'll get this done. That's going to be our focus. We're not going to, we're not going to get into the mask business. And then like two weeks later, every one of our customers were like, Hey, can you make us custom masks? And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. I think we can. <laughs> I think we can. And, and so we thought about it and we we're like, look, here's our, our purpose. Our purpose is to help every team look great. So there's a big difference between importing surgical masks to sell to hospitals and having our customers contact us and us making custom masks for them. That is in our wheelhouse. And so we've mm -hmm. added we've added mask products to our portfolio. I mean, literally, I mean, you've, you've seen some of it on social. I mean, I'm just we're we're absolutely we're we're moving so fast because it's an urgent need for our customers. They, they need, they need them now. And so we're launching product and we're, we're delivering product now. Uh, when I launched it a week ago and I still didn't know how much it was going to cost us to make the, <laughs> to make them. I mean, my, right. my, my, the detail people on my team were like, Mike, do you want to wait a week until we like understand how much it costs us to make these? And I'm like, no, in a week we'll, it'll, we'll have lost a week. So let's just do it. We'll figure it out as we go along. And that's sometimes the mentality you have to take. So, you know, without that speed, we, we would be behind the curve. And now we've got a, you know, we've got an advantage. We've, we've learned from some of our earlier customers 
feedback on pricing and what works and what doesn't work. And we wouldn't have had that if we had just been sitting around trying to figure it out before we launched it. So um, right. another, another, I guess, sort of example of just, just get it out there uh, and do it. I think that's a, a really good example of good decision-making. And, and to me, you, know, you listen to people talk about decision-making, especially in the business world, and they go, well, and even the military world too, because you have these folks that are out there. It's not, it's not exclusive to one or the other. But you have people that think, well, I need to, I got to gather data, I've got to analyze, I've got to do all these things before I go and take this action. You go, eh, well, you could do that. Right. Or, or you could take action and learn and from what you learn, go, well, this is good or it isn't. Yep. Oh, yeah. We've launched so many products that were duds. And, and I yep. would have, I would have, I'd still be doing the research on them if we hadn't just launched them to see if there was something there. Right. And I think that's a, a lesson that I took out of the military that I, I, I did not take in uh, from West Point was the fear of failure is often way greater than the failure itself as long as you understand where to mitigate it and cut totally. it off. That's absolutely right. You can ask yourself, what happens if this doesn't work? But if you answer that authentically, nothing, right? Like what happens if this doesn't work? Well then, then we then we learned that it didn't work. We can we can move on. We can move on to something yeah. else, or we we can say, well, okay, well, don't do that again, or don't do that that way again. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think that's what I've talked to a few different people on this podcast about leadership, and that's one of the core attributes that I think is missing in a lot of uh, people's analysis is good decision making, and that's really being able to to do that. Not okay. Well, how much can you pull into your fiefdom before you actually take action on it? Yeah, that's that's not it at all. Right. Yeah, which unfortunately is how a lot of people look look at it. Very true. Very true. But it's incredible to kind of get a look behind the veil of the way you've done things in the last couple of months. And uh, there's actually like a really great Planet Money episode about this, um, where they talk about this in a few different ways uh, from a few different perspectives. But yours was the exact scenario I thought of when I listened to that episode, and I said, "That's exactly what he's doing." And it's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Like one of your core company tenants, it's badass. <laughs> yes. Or is it kick-ass? It's kick-ass. Uh, yeah, have, have fun. All those, all those are important, even in a small team. And that's another cool thing about your leadership style too. That you know, I think you have these core values that are relevant, and they allow you to take action as opposed to you know constraining people with very general, bland things. It's like, no, go and do, and, and we'll, we'll take a look at it, what you've done and you when you're a little bit down the road and, you know, let's, let's analyze it, take action, then analyze. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes not, maybe not all the time, but sometimes it's necessary to do that. Yeah. I think if you're sitting on the sidelines right now, this is not the time to be patient. And uh, if you're, the, if you're that type of person, who's sort of the fact finder that needs to know everything. Go find somebody else to help give you a kick in the ass to, <laughs> to to give you some perspective, right? Like if you need someone else to help you make the decision on like what to do, whatever, but make a decision and, and start moving in that in that direction now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's probably a good thing to end on. What um but before we do that, I want to see is there anything that you wanted to put out there? Any notes, anything you wanted to talk about before before we do that? No, man, I think we covered a bunch. A lot of what I end up talking to people about when they're leaving the military or asking, you know, what to do, everyone's situation is different, right? Like, I, I don't know if you're going to be well-suited for 
a finance career or a big company or a small company. But I do know that sitting on the couch, watching Netflix all day, thinking about it is not going to solve that question. Right. So like, there's right. like, just take some action, go, go get a job or do something so you can find out for yourself if you like it or not. And that's, again, the same with business, the same with, with anything. There's no, there's no lessons to be learned just wondering about things. And, uh, you know, on the same thread, I think one of the best things that I've ever, a good piece of advice I got from my father-in-law that I took out and executed is, or said to people was just say, just give me a chance. Uh, right. Give me a chance to do something. Yep. And, and that's all I need. Yeah. I, I was, I've never been qualified for any of the jobs that I've had. <laughs> right. I've always had somebody have to give me a chance and just say, all right, we'll see what this guy can do. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Sure, I, I appreciate you. Yeah. Any, time with any, me. any time, you know, big, big fan, uh, first time caller. <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, what, what you've got coming up ahead for all the rest of these interviews. They're really great. I love them. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think we, we've got some really good stuff coming up. So well, I say we, I've got some really good stuff yeah. in, in my, the people that I interview. Exactly. All right. All right, man. Take me. All right. You too. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show. If you liked it, please share it with family and friends. And please consider leaving a rating or even better, a review. It really does help. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can visit the website at nstiwpodcast.com. Follow on Twitter at nstiwpodcast1 or on Instagram or Facebook at nstiwpodcast where you will receive additional notifications as well as additional content. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to see it continue to dive into bigger and better stories, consider donating. Navigate to the website where you can read how the donation will be used and you can easily donate over PayPal. On a final note, if you or someone you know has a story worth telling, please submit a summary via a contact form on the website for consideration. Thanks again and get out there and do something worth telling about.